0: For some reason, I feel like I should pity the pigeons. There's nothing about this that sounds awesome, but I I don't know. Here's the thing. Just to know that they're living a completely different experience than we are is quite fascinating. Like when they drop that poop on you... Welcome to What the If, Philip Shane here. I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I am here with Professor Dr. Matt Stanley, comma, P-H, capital P, little h, capital D. That's correct. Of capital N, capital Y, capital U, New York University. Uh, I believe that is all my capitals, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you identify as a science historian. Uh, yes, that's right. For for
1: reasons that are obscure to me, we usually say historian of science instead of science historian. I don't think there's any good reason for it, but there we are. I think it's a
0: it's some sort of um, uh, what was gonna say? some sort of subtle insult from regular historians.
1: Uh, I could totally believe that. Yeah. yeah,
0: there's there's a lot of shade that gets cast. Yeah, right. Like Doris Kearns Goodwin. Probably doesn't call herself historian of history, or historian of American history, or anything like that. It's just a historian.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'll bet she gets American historian or uh, presidential historian stuff like that from from historians of world history. There's always um, there's always somebody who will look down on you. Yeah.
0: The food chain is vicious in academia. Yes, wonderful. And, and I just want to give a quick welcome again to everyone who's coming back. If you subscribed and this showed up automatically, you rock. And that's fantastic. <laughs> and you saved yourself a, quite a bit of effort by availing yourselves of the AI ability to subscribe. Now, the robot will send you each episode. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, it's super easy. You can go to our website, whattheif.com, and click subscribe. That's it. Boom. You'll see it. options will come up. You just choose when you like Apple podcasts, you use uh, Android, just click either one and you will get a free subscription and each new episode will show up. And also want to remind you, this is a new thing. Uh, only a couple, this only the second episode, I think, where I, we've been able to uh, offer this special treat Those of you who have sent in ideas before that have been used as episode ideas, you emailed us at feedback at whattheif.com, you know you receive a fabulous finger puppet of a scientist or science fiction, beloved science fiction character from the unemployed Philosophers Guild, philosophersguild.com. Well, now we offer to you, fabulous listener, you are a smart Funny person. This is a smart, funny toy for you, a smart, funny person. That's exactly the things that the Unemployed Philosopher's Guild specializes in. 10% off. If you go to philosophersguild.com, anything you buy there, not just finger puppets, they have Star Trek transporter mugs, meaning that when it's cold, it's just the empty transporter. And then when you put hot liquid in it, everybody beams aboard. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. They're pretty amazing. Pretty amazing check that out all right the, what the if is we, we haven't sort of defined it for, for those who are new what the if is a game it's a game this is a game show <laughs> yeah, well and it has prizes actually I hadn't thought about this but, it's true yeah. it has prizes and
1: how would you describe the game the game is we uh, change something about reality so you know we've gotten rid of gravity Changed it so we could swim around in space. Changed it so people enjoy spending time with us. All sorts of different things.
0: Yeah, take that, Alex Trebek. I <laughs> and Alex Trebek. Changed I, I don't know of any other game show or game show host who has the audacity to change the universe. You know, was Alex Trebek's, you know, greatest and amb- greatest act of chutzpah is to say you have to answer in the form of a question. Well, and shaving his mustache. Ooh, okay. You know what? Kudos to him. I, I, I can't go that far. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. So y- you have a fascinating idea that you have brought to the what the if ifing booth this week.
1: Yeah has to do with some of our uh, fellow New York City residents, particularly the ones that walk around relieving themselves on statues and trying to get in our windows, and that's pigeons, right? Not that there uh, aren't people who also do that. That's right, but that will be the subject of a different different episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, for those of you who watched uh, Sesame Street as a kid, and hopefully that includes all Good people. Yes, you remember may remember Bert's famous dance, the pigeon. <laughs> and what are the what are the distinctive elements of of Bert's pigeon dance?
0: It's it's isn't it? Is it also reminiscent of uh, Sherman Hel- Hemsley's Helmsley? Whatever his name on the Jeffersons, Mister Jefferson also oh, had yeah, a, it's a little like that. <laughs> like I, that I think he called that. it the chicken dance, but well, he he sort of. Doesn't he, he put his arms akimbo? Is that part of mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And so then he walks in a very stiff fashion, a little bit like John Cleese's. A little bit, not exactly like what is that? The, the minister of silly walks. Mm-hmm. But it, he he jerks his head back and forth. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think that's the that's that's the distinctive feature of pigeons generally. Right. Um, is that little head bob they do sometimes as they walk sometimes that they're just sitting still. So you notice they they bob their heads and they'll kind of jerk their head to one position for, say, a quarter of a second or something and then jerk their head to another position and then jerk. So it's that it's that funny jerking motion that that we associate with pigeons. And it turns out there's a good reason that they do that. And the reason is that their brains are tiny. What um, they have to shake they have
0: to <laughs> shake the brain around to no it's a, oh,
1: that would be great. if brains work better when you shook them, that would change everything yeah, yeah. Um, no, it goes like this so when the pigeon looks at something right it, it's uh, its eyes focus on a, a particular part of the world and the light comes in to their eyes and hits their retina and creates an image on the retina and then that gets transferred to the brain, their brain, and then their brain tries to process the that information that just came in through their eyes. The problem is that it takes a lot of processing power to make sense of an image like that. So pigeon brains are tiny and not very good at doing that. So it takes a long time, relatively speaking, for their brain to make sense of what they're looking at. So our brains, for instance, are huge, and a huge chunk of it is devoted to processing just this information. And the rest of it is? Well, it's like, you know, cat memes and funny jokes and
0: things. Which require far less processing.
1: (laughs) What our brains do is they sample 20, 30 times a second what your eyes are looking at. So they're like frames or, you know, cells in an animation. And then our brains do this important thing where they stitch together all of those images to create the illusion of continuity. Right. Everything looks if if you watch something go by you like a pigeon fly past you, it looks smooth. You don't notice that sampling rate that your eyes and brain have. But that's, that, that's an illusion, right? That's your brain tricking you into seeing continuity. You
0: know, I didn't even think about it. I've always thought of it as like an analog type thing. Mm-hmm. But for instance, you're saying, it's interesting that you said, what did you say, 25, 24 to... 20 to 30, yeah. 20 to 30, and having worked in film and video, film generally runs at 24 frames a second, mm-hmm. and video yeah. is 30 20, depending on where you, uh, 25 or 30, depending on what country you're in. Interesting. So they must have reali- or, that's however, right, so they realized, or however, they realized that an works.
1: experimental thing, right? You yeah. try 10 frames a second and it looks too jerky. And then you try 40 frames a second and it looks fine. And then you try 30 and you discover that you can't tell the difference between 30 and 40. So you might as well do 30. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, so in that sense, you know, movies... Animations, whatnot, are are trying to do what our brains already do, which is create this illusion of continuity and motion. And there are times when you can you can sort of hack that brain process to, and you'll accidentally notice that there's something wrong with the processing. Right? You ever seen one of these? I think classic examples are things like when a, a wheel looks like it's going backwards.
0: Right. Yeah. I was just thinking that.
1: Yeah yeah um, so what's happening there is the the rotation of the wheel is syncing up with your visual processing system in in the wrong way. So your brain is interpreting it as going backwards instead of forwards. And you can't like your brain successfully makes that incorrect conclusion it says yes, that wheel is definitely moving, and it's definitely moving backwards. Um. So there's various situations where you can see uh, see this, and it's like, you know, when the sync used to be off on old video monitors. Yeah, you Actually, that? Have, <laughs> have I just terribly dated myself?
0: No, no. Well, I was gonna say these days, it's far worse. Oh, was that right? Okay. Because because of everything's digital now, and there's so much compression. There's so much uh, manipulation going on of the frame rate. Ah, uh, yeah. That just to try to keep everything going through the cable modem or however you're, you know, over the air digital, whatever. That sync is now almost. If you're if you're really attuned to it, as we film editors, <laughs> you can see that. Yeah, sync is just gone. It's gotten worse and worse over the. Years. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. that's funny
1: because I see it as as, as a non editor. I see the phenomenon much less than I used to. You know, used to pound on the television to make it stop and things
0: like that. Oh, interesting. You used to see... When would the sync... What would make the sync... But it would have been some kind of digital... Like, over the air, it was never out of sync.
1: Yeah, that's the whole thing. Anyway, um, yeah, so our brains create this convincing illusion for us that we have a continuous observation... Of the world around us, even though it's not really true. Except uh, for
0: editors, we have smaller brains, so clearly we <laughs> see all these imperfections. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know I want to stress how
1: much of our again how much of our brain is devoted to this problem of, of of creating this convincing illusion of of the accurate world around us, right? But not every species had the benefit of that particular evolutionary track.
0: Ah, or benefit or
1: need or need, right? exactly. In evolutionary terms, those are those are hard to disentangle, right? But evolution I was about to say decided, but it's always weird having kind of active verbs for evolution. As a result of evolution, humans have these big visual cortexes, and we've put it to good use by doing things like inventing, you know. Animation, right? No Scooby-Doo if we didn't have this.
0: <laughs> well, I guess it's also that because we had predators, in other words, the, 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 all the other animals, I suppose, who could eat us, chase us down and eat us, also had big enough brains to...
1: Well, this this would be an interesting question, actually. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that predators have better visual processing than prey because... Predators need to be able to do things like predict where their prey is going. So, things like continuity are very important. Whereas prey, like pigeons, for instance, they can get by with just... They just need to notice that the predator is there, and then they just make a break for it. Um, so, And actually, so there's a similar issue here with depth perception, which is in order to get depth perception you need to have your eyes on the same side of your face so they can compare images like like humans do, right? And dogs and cats and so on. And then you'll notice that prey animals, like rabbits, for instance, have their eyes on the side of their head because it's more important that they get a full, wh- so they see a lot rather than something in detail.
0: Like if they see a cat... Of whatever size or speed, you know, coming at them, if it's at all visible, you better just move.
1: Exactly. So they just go. Okay. So this is one of the reasons the pigeon can get by with its tiny little brain. So it, as it's bobbing its head, it's doing that very slow sampling. So the the rate at which you see the pigeon bob their head, that's the rate at which they're sampling frames of the world around them. So if you so if you kind of imagine that rhythm, that's the choppiness of the world they see
0: around them. So do we know what what is their field of view? What is the their angle of view or
1: whatever you call it? I don't know off the top of my head, but I'll bet it's pretty it's probably pretty big, 300 degrees maybe. I mean quite large. So they're turning just to sort of capture that last That last little bit, yeah, and then they have to hold their head still for that fraction of a second while their brain finishes processing that one frame.
0: Wow! Do we know is it like a super high resolution image they're getting? That's a good question. I have no idea.
1: I'd have to to tackle an ornithologist about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you could try to tackle them, but I bet they'd—they're ornithologists. Yeah,
1: they're really wary folks. Wow. So if that, if we had to do that. That's right. So what the if we saw the world like pigeons do? So we get four frames a second. You four? Oh, is that to, what it is? Four frames a second? So, something like that. Whoa. Yeah. So and you've got to hold your head still while you process one one of those frames. So you get, and this is, we can probably ignore the field of vision problem for the moment because that's going to get really sticky for us. But I think you as an editor may be perfectly placed to uh, give us a sense of what four frames a second might actually look like.
0: So four frames a second is six times slower than what we're, the rate of, the frame rate we're used to seeing. So, right, or it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah, it, it would just look, for us, you see, we don't know whether their brain is sort of compensating and making some sort of smooth thing out of that, but if if you simply, you can actually do this, by the way. If you're really curious mm. and you have a smartphone, they, they do have video on them, and there are apps that you can download that will allow you to change the settings of things like the frame rate. One of them is called Filmic Pro. Well, that's a little expensive. I- I'm sure there's cheap. You just could go to your respective app store and download some video app that allows you to change the frame rate, and you can experiment with this. And it would just look like really, s- you know, what the Here's an easy way to imagine it: a flip. Basically, a movie is a flip book. Like you know, you you have a book mm-hmm, and it has sure. like uh, you flip the pages fast and it's animation basically, you see the, the image is moving and the faster you're able to flip it, the smoother that animation appears to be in front of your face. This would be like flipping those pages considerably slower.
1: That's it, I hadn't thought of that, that's right, yeah. So you could just get a flip book and actually flip the pages, so it's a, a few per second. Interesting, okay,
0: yeah. Here, here's another quick way, I'll try to do this. So. 24 frames a second. Imagine one second. So one, two, three, and you got to do 24 for each one of those things. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23, 24. That's pretty fast. And that was probably too, way too slow. Yeah. Four frames a second would be like one, two, three. One, two, three, four, one, two. It's interesting to be like music. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So, you know what it's like? It's like when you look at, you know, people, have pro- here's a very common example. When you watch YouTube or some sort of video on the web and it suddenly starts to slow down, that's what it would look like. It would just be herky-jerky. Yeah, that's great that we've got all of these
1: tools at hand for actually seeing what these things look like. So uh, much bad. <laughs>
0: So much bad visual. <laughs> it's really declined. All that work that the engineers in like the 40s and 50s and 60s put into getting a beautiful picture—it's vanished. Gone.
1: Um, all right. So how? Let's see here. How would your lifestyle have to change if you only saw things at one sixth your current frame rate?
0: Well, oh, actually, here's another example. By the way, those of those of us who are space fans, space nerds, when you see, for instance, animations from the Mars rover. Uh, for ah, instance, you get okay. animations. Now, the people at NASA are taking in individual pictures that were probably taken even much slower than this, but they, they make little animations, right? So you can go and you can watch. You see what it's like, the animation they've created of, of the rover's eye view driving across the surface. It clearly looks like images. It's like tick, mm-hmm. tick, 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 tick. That's another example Of what it would be. And actually, lastly, a GIF. GIFs are um, pretty bad. Yeah.
1: All right. Yes. Yes. Could you still drink your coffee? Four frames a second? Whoa.
0: Wow. You probably could, but if you did it too fast, you'd have to do it at a certain speed.
1: That's right. You'd have to be pretty careful about that, right? Because you're going to get any sloshing and it's all over. That's why we don't don't see pigeons drinking coffee. (laughs) That is, in fact, the only reason. Yeah, that's right. Scientists have spent a lot of time on this. Yes, see that. (laughs) What else couldn't you do?
0: Well, certainly things like riding a bike would be really, you know, or driving uh, high things that happen at high speeds. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah.
1: So riding a bike is right out. Maybe even jogging would be right out right? You'd want to be pretty careful of that, I think. Definitely.
0: The interesting thing is you would think that flying, well, I don't know exactly what it's like to fly like a bird, but it, I imagine it's, it's, it's certainly at the speed of bikes, if not considerably faster.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things going on there. One is that birds do ha- seem to have some kind of non-visual instinct that allows them to evade or to to avoid obstacles. And it's the same kind of thing that lets them flock, right? Kind of keep close to each other um, because they're not communicating or anything, right? So so they do not seem to rely on vision too much for that. And also, pigeons crash into stuff all the time. That's true. Yeah. I had a student show up late for class once, and he's all discombobulated, and he's got feathers all over him. I said, what happened? (laughs) And he says... Pigeon smashed into my face on my way here. Wow! And I thought that was such an extraordinary thing. And it was the the class was about um, predicting the future. So for the rest of the semester, the example was always: Could we have predicted that Scott got hit in the face by a bird?
0: That I I refer you back to any number of our episodes on probability. Some recent, some distant about the that In an infinite universe, anything is possible. Wow, we had that was a rare example of like quantum. <laughs> rare. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I ended up using it so often that the student asked me to stop because he was getting embarrassed, and I felt kind of bad about it after that.
0: Think of the bird. The bird had to. <laughs> the people. The, the other birds, you know, were like, "Why do you have um, NYU?" Got human hair all over you. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you'll never (laughs) get this kid bumped into me. (laughs) Silly humans.
1: Well, I suppose editors would have an easier job, right? It'd probably be easier to edit a movie at four frames a second than thirty frames a second.
0: No, actually, well, because. We are, we, you know, we edit by simply experiencing the movie, just like the audience experiences it. So that's the whole. In so other words, we'd be looking at a weird picture and be like, "Well, everyone else is going to do a weird picture," so you'd be so consumed. With, which is, by the way, one of the reasons that you know, if you go to the movies and something does happen to the picture, or even if you're watching TV, somebody you might be watching Netflix or something like that, and suddenly the, the picture gets a little bit weird, or or the Sound does get out of sync with the picture. You're just completely taken out of the movie. So yeah, it is right. actually important that the movie, and this is, again, why they chose, obviously, 24 frames a second. They said, so, you know, film was very expensive. So they probably said, well, what's the what's the minimum we can get away with? Yeah, the with minimum it? amount of film we can use to still feel realistic.
1: hmm yeah, and that's the the fact that, uh, as, as you say, if you notice anything wrong, it pulls you out instantly. I think that's a, an interesting reminder of how much work our brain does to make the world look smooth around us, right? We're just totally, um, totally used to that. Whereas pigeons probably do not have that sensation. So a jerky picture for a pigeon is totally normal. Yeah, it's all we know.
0: Yeah, that's right. How could it be otherwise, right? Yeah, they, wow. Okay, so now they probably don't have these higher cognitive thoughts. But in a way, if we had grown, uh, you know, if you evolved, if, if you lived your entire life with this sort of way of seeing things, it isn't that you would think, oh, this is how we see the world. You would think this is how the world this is. is how the world is, <gasps> right? You would think that the world moves in this choppy, you know they might have developed quantum mechan- they might have developed a sense of the quantum <laughs> nature of reality faster than we do well that's an interesting thought right is
1: that the the, the illusion of continuity in our vision we then project onto the universe and assume continuity uh, whereas if if things naturally looked jerky then
0: oh actually this is fascinating because the the theories you would then come up with you know you'd say well there's no way, you would say things like, when you look at a fast, uh, let's say they see a car, they're sitting on the curb, or up on a building, they're sitting on top of a building, and they're looking down at the street, right? And they see cars driving by. They would say that it seems that every quarter of a second, the car instantaneously jumps from Place to place. one place to the next <laughs> place further down the road and there is absolutely we don't believe there's anything in between it's not that it moves smoothly from there to there as it moves along the road it cars and everything else move in this sort of you know
1: stop step stop fashion this is what kind of happens in the the 1890s or so when people first start developing high speed photography and for the first time, it becomes possible to see faster than our natural eyes do um, and starts giving rise to these sorts of questions like, oh, there's all this stuff happening that we can't see. What else might be going on?
0: Ah, so
1: like w- William Edgerton. Is it? Exactly, right? So Edgerton, uh, Moybridge, these are all experiments in, in precisely this, this sort of question. What's happening in between what we can see and can we learn stuff from that? And there's all sorts of, uh, for, it's, I mean, it's just kind of wild west for a while where everybody's like, we'll just take pictures of, we'll, we'll take high speed photography of everything and, and just see what we can see. So that's why like Moybridge has all these bizarre things of, you know, people jumping up and down and swinging hammers. You're just like, what's what's hiding
0: out there that we don't know about right was he the one who took uh, filmed horses running yes that's right
1: and and this was this was in order to solve a a millennia old argument which was does a galloping horse ever have all four feet off the ground at the same time and they, they discovered they do Yep, that's right. Um, But this was actually, uh, there was no way to solve that problem before high-speed photography. It was just the kind of thing that cavalry officers would argue about uh, when they got drunk at night. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Uh, And as the story goes, it goes back like all the way to Alexander the Great of, of people arguing about whether this happens or not.
0: Now, of course, they knew that horses could jump, but the idea is that running along, is it a bunch of jumps? Little jumps or is it, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Right, and and then if you don't know the name Edgerton, I'm sure you've seen uh, some of the incredible images he captured like using incredibly high-speed cameras taking not 24 frames a second, but I don't even know, maybe thousands of frames a second Mm -hmm. of like a bullet going through and being shot through an apple or splash of milk. That's a classic one. Right, the, the, yes, that's right.
1: The same kind of thing is that uh, when, when a droplet splashes into a, a surface of a liquid, you can kind of see what's going on, but kind of not. So, Edgerton wanted to say, like, what is actually the shape of that splash?
0: Now, by okay, so here's a fascinating thing. In fact, this is quite interesting that the pigeon sees images like that. That's something that's hard to remember. Like, four frames a second means that. Yes, you're seeing. You know, if you're using our brain processing power, and and you're looking at those images, you would see like when uh, when a drop of milk falls towards the ground, you would see just like a few in between what we would call like in between images. Like they would see that beautiful crown-shaped ring of splashing, whatever, they'd see that. They'd be like, wow, look at that. You know, they'd really get to enjoy, in a way, they get to enjoy <laughs> and, things. And kind
1: more. of stare at it for a while. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's an interesting side effect of continuity, is that everything goes away very fast, too. Um, I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. Um, I should say, if anyone wants to uh, read a little bit more about this, there's a wonderful book called A Tenth of a Second by Jimena Canales. About this period in the late 19th century, when people start realizing things like finite sample speed of the eye and finite neurotransmission time. And it gives rise to all sorts of sort of profound philosophical and social problems um, about what it means that we live in a universe with this kind of delay in our, uh, our sensing of it.
0: Yeah, I guess that's really the, the the way to really fully grok this or understand it better. Because like, there's a lot of unknowns about because the pigeon is doing this because their brain is slow. It's hard to, and they have totally different brains, so it's hard to imagine what they're perceiving exactly, how they feel about it, and all that sort of stuff. But the idea is that what if we, who as we are, understood that in fact the way we see the world is considerably slower mm-hmm. than like a a flip side of this would be if they are imagine being a creature who sees at a much higher frame rate, which I don't know if hummingbirds or you know there may be creatures things, but if you had uh well actually we can we do know in a way, like Peter Jackson, for instance, has experimented, and others have experimented with high speed frame rates so they uh and it looks kind of weird to us, right? It looks weird yeah. It looks very weird to us because, in fact, that low frame so that lower frame rate, for instance, twenty-four frames a second or thirty or twenty-five that we use was actually a it wasn't just the minimum frame rate that people who purchased film and only wanted to spend as little as possible went for. It's actually still a little bit below. What are actually the rate of our eyes? And so there are, there is a little bit of artificialness about it that we have grown up with and therefore think that it's actually what makes film beautiful is that it's a little bit below our normal rate of seeing things. Mm, And what's happening is hidden him going to a higher frame rate it just looks totally differently. So that's one thing we could say is that the pigeons first reaction, if we suddenly could change, if they could look at something at a totally different frame rate, their first reaction would be, this is just unpleasant. Like they wouldn't think it's really cool. They'd just be, ah, it looked, they'd be like, it looks like a soap opera. (laughs) (laughs) Pigeon soap operas. Yep. Wow. That's fascinating. And I wonder what the, um, yeah, there's so many fascinating questions about this. And we're
1: in trouble. Like when the alien invasion comes and the aliens have a much higher sample rate than we do, it might be difficult to uh, fight them on the beaches. Yeah.
0: Yes, right. Well, there's a question of there's both the, the thing about being able to see faster, but also slow things down. Yeah, they, they can. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And that's presumably why the aliens have the big heads is because they have the yes. extra visual cortex,
0: right? Yeah. Right, 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 right. So ultimately, that's what it comes down to, is that these huge processors... And by the way, in reverse, one of the reasons it's been so hard to get virtual reality working as a technology mm. and why the goggles and things are still big and the computer, you know, you, you still can't quite have a fully portable thing, e- even now, uh, portable, you know, a portable device that you just put it on and it's looks virtual reality is the amount of computer processing required to create images that fast is is huge wow i mean could we have had a my favorite example could we have had a space program if we only saw it four frames a second uh that would be a really challenging actually you know what we here's the thing the um techno The radar for whatever devices they use to land, to have a a craft land on its own, right? Like when we the the rovers that land on Mars, the landers that land on Mars, actually are using devices that I'm quite sure are able to. They're moving so fast when they come in, right? And and they have a tiny and you know computers that run air, you know autopilots and all, all kinds of things that we have actually made that require enormous amounts of adjustments, much higher than a human right. can do. Yeah. For instance, a stealth, uh, or not a stealth, but, but the flying wing, like a, an airplane that looks like, like a triangle, right? like the stealth bombers. The only reason we can have planes like that now is that we have computers and sensors that are able to work together fast enough to make the bazillion... Adjustments needed. Yeah. And that's an important. Uh, so, on one hand, that's
1: amazing, right? That's, yeah. that's so cool that we can kind of do stuff that's beyond our biological capability. Yeah. On the other hand, what that means is we're handing over decision making processes to machines. Yes. And that's going to happen more and more, right? Your, your auto driving Tesla samples things much faster than you do. And on one hand, that means you'll get, into less, you'll get into less accidents. On the other hand, you know, this is the question of machine ethics, then, is how do you program that decision-making process for, you know, this, do you hit the baby carriage or do you hit the old woman crossing the street, right? These are things that machine, decisions that machines will have to start making soon.
0: Exactly. And and in another uh, last sort of creepy example, I just saw a story. I think it's real. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't hunt down the absolute validity of this. But on Twitter, people were passing around a video from seemingly from DARPA, the uh, you know, part of the government, um, I think also part military that uh, does experimental technologies, cutting edge technologies. And for instance, we know that when you fire a bullet, you have a gun, you fire a bullet at a target, a moving target, you know, you can use lasers, you can use a, 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 you know, magnifying scope, visual scope and whatever. And you can use your, a sniper, for instance, could use, you know, practice to eventually learn, okay, if something's moving at this particular speed, I need to shoot a little this much ahead of it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe you get it, maybe you don't. But if that thing is changing speed as it moves along, for instance, it becomes virtually impossible to hit it exactly. And so what they did is they had a video of like the very the best trained snipers shooting at a moving target, mostly getting it, but definitely not always hitting the target. Now there's a bullet. You know, that bullet is moving it incredibly fast, obviously, from the sniper to the target. And even then, you know, it they miss. So there's now a bullet. I believe that can change direction as it goes. Oh wow! I'm not exactly sure how this is done. And again, if it's absolutely real or what? I, anyway, but the idea is that if you had a bullet, so there. There's another idea of like evolve using us creating tools that move beyond us with great sophistication, based on the ability to capture reality at a much higher speed than we can.
1: Yeah, totally different experience.
0: Totally different. Wow. So when we now look at, I am absolutely going to, for some reason, I feel like I should pity the pigeons. Like, there's nothing about this that sounds (laughs) awesome a little bit, but I I don't know. I marvel at, like, here's the thing, just to know that they're living a completely different experience than we are. It's quite fascinating. Like when they drop that poop on you, they really, that's a gift because they're, you know, they're seeing again, think about this business with the sniper. That poop is not self-guided. Let's assume. Uh, Yes, that would be. And they can see them coming. And then lastly, the example of the pigeon that managed to hit the student, you know, that was not just an act of bravery foolhardy you know
1: it's uh yeah it was a representation of their completely different experience of the
0: universe and then last 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 thought as that bird was hitting the student he would have experienced it in a very strange way it would have been like crunch 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 what's flap, going on flap, flap, ah! yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: very different, very different than your experience of running into a student in the park,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly, and uh the pigeon then I'm sure as he flew away, looked at that student with that little pigeon cockeye look, like mm-hmm, because that's to me how it always looked doing this little head jerk around I was really really like, you what now <laughs> <laughs> You got food for me? Uh-huh, Now, What are you doing here? <laughs> this is my city. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What the ifs of pigeons and pigeon mind and frame rates. Wow. I, I urge you, if, if this was all complete, if this a lot of this frame rate stuff was just like, what? You, you know, a little bit confusing. You know, go online. It's very easy. Look at, just look up videos where, you know, it explains frame rate or just shows you examples. Different. Here's what something looks like. Yeah. Have a mm-hmm. Camera at this frame rate, have a camera. I at do. Frame. have a camera at that rate, uh, that fascinating. And so, again, remind us what was the book that this uh, you you read this in? Oh, it was a book, yeah, called
1: Storm in a Teacup, which is uh currently one of my favorite popular science books. It was written by Helen Czersky, C Z E R S K I.
0: Cher, it's probably Chersky, I Chers- think. yeah, cool. Yeah, CZ, right. Storm in a teacup. Check it out. Go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can listen to all our episodes. We're approaching 80 episodes. If you didn't hear it last week's episode with um, Vanessa Parada from Australia, all about whales. Another fascinating animal experience is there. If you go a little bit further back, I can't remember the number, 50 something, I think. Uh, with Dr. Uh, Kirsten Sanford, uh, Dr. Kiki, mm-hmm. who is also a brain, uh, brain, <laughs> a bird brain specialist. She is a brain and a very big brain and uh, a bird brain specialist. We also had an episode there about what it was like to be a different kind of bird. Uh, a little tiny. Right, the shrike, as I recall. Yes, a little tiny, very fierce killer. Super cute and super killer. It's a incredible combination. Talk about evolution. That's uh, uh, that's a really fun episode as well. So check those out. Next week we're going to have a very exciting new guest, uh, new guest, uh, return guest, Brian yes. Keating, right. astronomer Brian Keating, author of Losing the Nobel Prize. You can on our website you can also learn about who who are we, who are these crazy people, what does it mean to be a historian of science, why does that nerd know so much about frame rates? <laughs> what dot com slash about. On Twitter at What the If Show, we have a humongous community um, of human and bots. It's wonderful. At What the If Show, check it out and share share your comments there about. You know, people are sending in all kinds of fascinating stories about science, or just random thoughts or reactions. I post a lot of fascinating news stories there about science too. We have fun discussing those. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, or Overcast, or Google Play Store, or just go to WhatTheIf.com click the subscribe button and you'll see the buttons there and click it and you're done. Next week. Who knows what the if Brian Keating astronomer is going (laughs) to to, where he's going to take us See what happens. It will be incredible. And then hopefully our brains will have the processing power to absorb it all in real time. When we do, as our brains try to filter all of this knowledge and perception and imagination, eventually it all falls down into the amygdala and the hippocampus and deeper basal ganglia things. And eventually the brain spits out an answer and says, What? The ah. it. It.